we have now reached the third Sunday in this season of Advent. There's only this year a week and a half more to go. And if we've been paying attention to the way the scripture readings have been leading us, if we have been allowing these to seep into our hearts, then the excitement must be building. The excitement for the second coming of the Lord, for which we have been preparing in this as in every Advent season. For what is it that we have been hearing in these readings in Mass these last Sundays? Two weeks ago, on the first Sunday of Advent, we heard our Lord Jesus tell us that He will come again, but that His coming will be utterly unexpected, that it will take us by surprise. And so He said, stay awake, be prepared, watch. And then last week, we heard more of the prophecies about what the Messiah will bring when He comes. And so we heard from both the prophet Isaiah and John the Baptist about how he will bring judgment, about how he will separate the good from the bad, and he'll take away all the power from the bad, and instead will bring about a world of amazing peace, where even young and defenseless creatures like lambs or babies will have nothing to fear from the fiercest of predators. And then that continues to build this week as we hear these beautiful words from the prophet Isaiah about how the dry desert will bloom with flowers and about how those ransomed by the Lord will sing with joy. And joy is certainly the word of this Sunday. And as we anticipate this joy, as we have heard again these prophecies about the coming of the Lord, surely this build within our heart And we know that we want this. We want this joy that our Lord will bring upon His second coming. Indeed, hopefully it has begun to take hold of our imagination again so that we say with the psalm, Lord, come to save us. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Bring this joy that You promised that we're waiting for. But then here we are as this anticipation has built in our hearts, here we are still waiting, the Lord not having come during this past week or the week before. And so we find ourselves, for all that anticipation, still waiting, as others have before us in the faith. Ever since that first century of the church, as we have anticipated from then till now our Lord's imminent return, and here we are waiting. And it would be natural for that expectation and excitement and joy to turn to discouragement, perhaps even to turn to disappointment with the Lord, or bitterness or cynicism. Why does our Lord delay? At such a point, how appropriate it is that we hear this gospel reading. For John the Baptist is one of the great figures of Advent. As we heard Jesus say, he was the messenger sent before him to prepare his way. And yet, here we hear the time when having pointed him out, John the Baptist is now in prison. Because after he had told King Herod Antipas that it was wrong for him to marry his his brother's wife, Herodias, well, Herod and Herodias didn't like that much, and so they put him in prison. 
And so John the Baptist, who had for years lived in the open countryside, was now confined within this little space between these four stone walls. But he could still communicate with the outside world, and clearly he had heard about what Jesus was doing. And so he was able to tell his disciples, go to Jesus and bring him this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? Now, this is an interesting question. We should note, first of all, that there's at least two different motivations suggested for why John is asking it. On the one hand, it could be that having been in prison for some time, that he has begun to be discouraged and that he has begun to be depressed and perhaps to wonder whether when he pointed out Jesus, whether he got it right, whether he might have made some mistake in saying that this was the Messiah. And in that interpretation, he's asking the question because he wants to know because of how down he's feeling and what he's thinking. The other possibility is that he's not asking it for himself, but he's asking it for his disciples. He's sending them to Jesus so that they can meet Jesus. He's having them ask the question of Jesus so that they can hear his answer. Because he knows that meeting Jesus and hearing his words, and especially his explanation of this, is exactly what they need. He's come to point to the Messiah, and even from prison, that's what he's doing. Well, two possibilities for his motivation. But either way, either way, the question functions the same way. Because the question puts side by side two things that don't seem to go together and prompts a response from Jesus. So, if we lay those out as he does not, when he asks that question, what is he asking? He's saying, on the one hand, I proclaimed that you were coming to bring judgment and to punish the wicked and to bring a wide-sweeping change to the landscape. That's what I proclaimed you were doing. But you're not doing it. You're traveling around and you're preaching and you're doing miracles and you're calling disciples. You're doing a lot of things, but it's not the things that I said you were going to do. How do these things go together? How do we reconcile the fact that what John preached and what Jesus was actually doing were not exactly the same thing? And whether John wanted to know the answer or whether he wanted his disciples to know the answer or whether we need to know the answer, it's still a good question. And we notice what Jesus' answer was. First, as so often happens, he didn't actually answer the question directly in words. A direct answer would have been to say, yes, I am the one who is to come. No, he didn't say that. But of course, he did answer in words. He said, look at what I'm doing and go back and tell John what you have heard and seen. And he lists off for them several things. The blind have been given their sight. The lame have been made to walk. The lepers have been cleansed. The deaf have been given their hearing. The dead have been raised. The poor have had the good news preached to them. And in doing this, he's making reference to a couple different prophecies in Isaiah, one of which we heard in our first reading, to show that 
there are other prophecies about the Messiah that he is fulfilling right then. Just not the ones that John was emphasizing. Or to put it differently, he is saying, without putting it explicitly, yes, I am the one who is to come. No, I'm not doing right now what you said I would. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. And what he was saying, perhaps what John needed to hear, perhaps what John's disciples needed to hear, and what we need to hear as we wait in the year 2013 is, I am the Messiah. I am coming soon. But my timing is not always your timing. My priorities are not always your priorities. Don't take offense at me. But instead, stick with me. Follow me. See what I'm doing and put yourself into line with what I'm doing. We may perhaps take some meaning from the very color associated with this day, this rose. Think the, the image we had from the beginning, from the first Sunday, was of the night being over, the day about to break. So there we have the colors of black for night and bright white for day. The day begins with the sunrise. The sunrise begins when you begin to see a little bit of rose on the horizon. And perhaps that's what we can take this color to indicate. It's not day yet. In a sense, the sun isn't even rising right now just yet, but it's also not completely black. We can see that rose glow that signals that is in the process of happening. And what is that rose glow? John the Baptist was looking forward to this transformation of the world, and so are we. But it's not what our Lord is doing yet, not on that scale. But what is he doing? He is making the blind to see. He is making the lame to walk. He is cleansing lepers. He is making the deaf to hear. He is raising the dead. He is doing that every day, spiritually, and also sometimes physically. Physically, he works through the gifts of healing given through the Holy Spirit, and he also works through the works of mercy, all of the medical works of mercy that his people and others do in the world. He does this physically, and he does it spiritually, enabling the spiritually blind to see the spiritually lame to get up and walk again, the spiritually dead to be alive again in the sacraments, in his word, in so many ways. I see it every day. Every day I see it. I see it in pro things like Project Rachel, where women and men who suffer from abortions of the past are given healing from the pain that they have suffered. I see it. I see it in confession, where sins are forgiven and people are set free. I see it in deliverance, where people are set free from things that have shackled and weighed them down in the past. I see it in marriage preparation, where a young couple preparing for marriage encounters the truth of Christ, as well as the truth of themselves, and begins to adapt and change and prepare for a marriage together. 
I've seen it in RCIA, where people who have never been baptized or are becoming Catholic encounter all this too, the truth of Christ and the grace, and they are changed. I see it in our youth group. Time after time, I can tell you that I see these works that our Lord Jesus is doing every single day. He is making the blind to see. He is making the lame to walk. He is raising the dead to new life. He isn't yet doing the fullness of what He promised at His second coming. But that doesn't mean He's doing nothing. This is what He's doing now. And if we can trust His timing and trust His priorities and walk with Him rather than expecting Him to follow our lead, well then, then we will have joy indeed. Patience. St. James counsels us in his second letter. Patience. And so there is joy in the journey. There is joy in the waiting. There is joy in the rosy glow of what our Lord is doing, even in the midst of the night as it comes toward its end. And so with joy and with patience, we say, Come, Lord Jesus.